Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are learning the fifth lesson of Parashat Shlach. In the last section, we began discussing the halachic sections and the one narrative of chapter 15 that interrupt the narrative flow of Sefer Bemidbar, specifically the narrative flow between Shlach and Korach. Not only do they interrupt, but most of these sections seem to belong to Sefer Vaikra and the world of sacrifices. We will attempt to analyze each, each section independently, understand it, and, un, and, within, and try to understand it within the context of our parasha in general. So we will begin with verse 17. Vaydaber Adonai el Moshe lemor, daber el b'nei Yisrael ve'amarta alehem, bevoachem el ha'aretz, asher ani mevi etchem shama. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where I bring you. Here too we can model a remark on the basis of the commentary's comment at the beginning of the of our chapter. This is there is a remark of comfort in this mitzvah as it prophesizes entering Eretz Israel in the aftermath of the punishment of the sin of the spies and the devastation of the Ma'apilim. But that of course begs the question. Why again? Why twice? What is added in this remark? Additionally, Rashi, quoting the Sifri, notes the unusual language of our verse in comparison to other similar verses. In other mitzvot hatluyot ba'aretz, agricultural mitzvot that relate to the land of Eretz Yisrael, the Torah says, ki tavo el ha'aretz, or ki tavo el ha'aretz, as in our, in our previous section. Here it uses the unique language of bevoachem el ha'aretz. The Sifri learns a halachic distinction in all other agricultural mitzvot that are connected to Eretz Yisrael. They begin not upon entering Eretz Yisrael, but upon conquering and inheriting the land, which was a period of 14 years, seven years each for conquering and inheriting the land. Only after those 14 years did those mitzvot become activated. However, in this mitzvah chala that we are about to learn about, the unusual formulation of bevoachem teaches us that B'nai Israel were obligated in this mitzvah chala immediately upon arrival in Eretz Israel. What is different about this mitzvah? Let us delve into this mitzvah and we shall try to get a clearer picture. Verse 19. Then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to Hashem. The wording in this verse might also give an indication of the immediacy of the need to fulfill this mitzvah upon arrival in Israel. In, if other agricultural mitzvot relate to land, no land yet belongs to anyone until the 14 years of conquering and inheritance pass. But the trigger for this mitzvah is upon eating from the food or bread of the land. This happens immediately upon entering Eretz Yisrael. Sefer Yoshua, chapter 5, verse 12 testifies, Vayishbot haman mimochorat be'ochlam me'avur ha'aretz ve'lohaya od livnei Yisrael man vayochlu mitvuat Eretz Kanan bashana ha'hi. Immediately upon entering Eretz Yisrael, the man seizes and b'nei Yisrael are eating from the food of Eretz Yisrael. That demands a reaction. What reaction? Tiruma. So what is tiruma? In modern day Hebrew, we would translate a donation. A donation 
implies something voluntary, non-obligatory. In fact, our first encounter with the word truma in the context of donating to the building of the Mishkan has that implication of something voluntary. However, subsequent, subsequent trumot seem to imply obligatory, obligatory trumot. The half shekel, also referred to as a truma, is considered obligatory. And we can give other examples as well. <clears throat> truma might mean a gift. There are gifts that are voluntary and gifts that are obligatory. Or perhaps truma, like in the Targum of Unculus, means setting aside a portion. One has their wealth. Give a portion of your wealth to the Mishkan. Give a portion of your wealth to the half shekel. One has a Shlamim sacrifice. Set aside the thigh for the Kohen. That being the case, when one eats bread from Eretz Yisrael, set aside a portion for God. What does setting aside a portion for God mean? There are times where giving something to God means giving it to the Mizbech, and then on the Mizbech, on the altar, it is burnt. For example, an Olah is burnt on the Mizbech, it's given to God. Or the portion of the Shlamim that goes on the altar, all the inner organs are burnt on the altar and they go to God. However, there are times in which a portion going to God means to God's representatives on earth, to the Kohen, as we will see in the continuation. Verse 20. Reshit arisotechem hala tarimu tiruma, kitrumat goren kein tarimu ota. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering, as the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. Arisa is broadly translated as dough, or when the flour and water mix. The first of this dough should be set aside just like you set aside grain from the threshing floor. What does this refer to? It appears to refer to chapter 18, verse 12, in Bamidbar, Kol chelev yitzar v'chol chelev tirosh v'dagan reishitam asher itnu l'adonai l'chanetatim. The choice first of our familiar group of three, olive oil, wine, and grain, that are given to God, God gives to the Kohanim so too we give the first portion of dough to God, and perhaps using the comparison, that means that we give this to the Kohen. This, of course, brings up the issue of chronology of mitzvot. The Torah in this mitzvah is referring to a mitzvah, a mitzvah that has not yet been discussed. But this begs a more basic question. If truma has already been taken from the grain, why must truma be taken once again from the dough? It seems redundant. Recognizing that everything belongs to God from what we have is an important value that is expressed in the truma that we give to God. But why does this have to be done twice? Let's see verse 21. May reshit arisotechem titnu ladonai tiruma ledorotechem. From the first of your dough you shall give to Hashem an offering throughout your generations. On this final verse of this section, the Chizkuni quotes a Sifri, stating that one is obligated in the truma of chala from the dough, also if it's taken from leket, shichicha, and peah, and also from the dough from the grain of the Shemitah year. Leket, shichicha, and peah are portions that the landowner leaves in his field for a poor person to take for himself.
Not, as a result, it is not obligated in truma from the grain. The poor person is not a landowner, and therefore he is not obligated. Similarly, the fields of the seventh year are considered ownerless. Therefore, there is no need to take truma from the grain. On this year, no one is a landowner. Nonetheless, the Sifri teaches us that in these two cases that have an exemption from truma of the grain, of the grain, the truma of the chala must be still taken from the dough. Dough is not about land ownership. It is about the actual act of eating. At the point that one is able to make dough and feed him or herself, regardless of whether they are a landowner or have given truma from the grain, or whether they are exempt because they are not landowners, the act of eating, when you eat, demands setting aside a portion for God and recognizing where everything came from. It is not about land ownership, but about the act of eating. Therefore, it is, it is relevant immediately upon entering Eretz Yisrael, because land ownership might take another 14 years, but eating is taking place immediately. Like in the parasha of Nesachim, the previous parasha we learned, the Sforno comments that the mitzvah of setting aside challah to God is a result of the sin of the spies. After the sin, they needed a source of bracha, of blessing in their houses. If we accept the Sforno's premise, but take it in a slightly different direction based on what we just discussed, perhaps we can say the following. The dependence on God, which was so lacking in the sin of the spies, needed to be strengthened in the aftermath of the sin. If when we received man from heavens, we still do not appreciate God taking care of us and question his presence and ability to save us, provide for us by conquering Eretz Yisrael for us, then that element of feeling God's presence is lacking. If until this point taking truma from the grain would have been sufficient, the sin of the spies made it clear that an additional stage of recognizing that everything is from God was necessary. And therefore, even at the last stage of eating, when we prepare the dough, another truma is necessary. This lesson cannot be delayed, but must be implemented immediately upon arrival in Eretz Yisrael. We now move on to the next topic in verse 22. V'chi tishku et kol ha-mitzvot asher diber Adonai el Moshe. If you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which Hashem has spoken to Moshe. What is this verse referring to? It is referring to an accidental, accidental sin. But which sin? Whose sin? Which commandments is the verse referring to? Et kol asher tziva Adonai alechem biyad Moshe min hayom asher tziva Adonai vahala ledorotechem. Even all that Hashem has commanded you through Moshe, from the day when Hashem gave commandment and onwards throughout your generations, is this referring to every sin, even if not fulfilling a positive commandment? Still unclear, but just notice the word Lidorotechem, which connects it to the previous paragraph about Chala, which also ended with the word Lidorotechem. Verse 24. Now we have a little more information. It is a sin of the entire nation, Ha'ida. Wait, does this sound familiar? The entire nation called Eida sinning? 
Didn't we just read about this? But wait, this is accidental. The sin of the spies was not an accidental sin. Well, what is offered? A bull as an ola and a male goat as a chatat offering. This is not only familiar from the immediate context of chetam yaraglim, the sin of the spies, but it's familiar from our studies in Sefer Vayikra. In Vayikra chapter 4, the Torah opens a paragraph, verse 13, in a similar language. Ve'im kol adat Yisrael yishgu, if all of the Edah, the entire nation, accidentally sins, ve'ne'ilam davar me'inei hakahal, and something was missed by the, by the entire congregation, ve'asu achat mikol mitzvot Hashem, asher lo te'asena ve'ashemu, and if one of the mitzvot of God were, that are not to be done, were done, and they were guilty. And it became known, the sin that they did. Congregation will offer a bull as a chatat offering. It seems like the same case. It is a sin of the entire nation. It's accidental. But, in the instance of Sefer Vayikra, the Torah only obligates one sacrifice, a bull as a chatat offering. The Torah goes on to describe in great detail how this unique inner chatat offering has the blood actually brought inside the Mishkan, as opposed to a regular korban where the blood is only spilled on the outside Mizbech, the Mizbech, have made out of copper. Here, the, the blood is brought inside the Mishkan, spilled on the parochet, the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies, and on the inner golden Mizbeach, which usually only has ktoret offered on it. But these two similar sections cannot be referring to the same incident for two reasons. One, the Torah is telling us two different cases, and we know that the Torah cannot be repetitive. Number two, more significantly, there are different offerings. As we said, in Vayikra there is a one sacrifice, a bull for Chatat, and Bemidbar there are two sacrifices, a bull for an Ola and a goat for a Chatat. The sages interpret the verses in Vayikra as a sin in which if one transgresses purposely, there is a punishment of Karet, of being cut out of the nation, but the offerings being discussed, are obligatory when the transgression was accidental. Karet is a severe punishment. Presumably the sin in question is more severe, the, question, the, the sin in Sefer Bamidbar, because two sacrifices are demanded. What is the sin? If we skip briefly to verse 30, we might get a clearer picture as to the severity of the sin. Verse 27 to 31, which we haven't yet read, which we will soon read, describe an individual who does the same sin, first accidentally and subsequently on purpose. In verse 30 to 31, the Torah describes one who sins purposely in the following way. Et Hashem hu migadef, he is blaspheming God. Kidvar Hashem bazav et mitzvato hefar, he has despised the word of God and broken his commandment. The sages understood from the contrast to Vayikra chapter 4 and from the local verses that the sin described in these verses is the ultimate sin. Blaspheming, despising the word of God, that's the sin of Avodah Zarah. 
idol worship, the ultimate affront to God. But the nation sinned in this regard accidentally, and therefore there is an avenue of atonement, the bull, Ola, and the male goat, Chatat. And from the comparison to Vaikra, chapter 4, the sages understood that just like the blood of the bull chatat offering is brought into the Mishkan and sprinkled on the, on the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies and the golden Ketorat altar, so too the blood of the male goat chatat described here is brought into the Mishkan and sprinkled on the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies and the golden Ketorat altar. As it says in the second Mishnah, in Ezehu Mekoman Shalzvachim, Parimani Sarfim Usirimani Sarfim. It talks about the bulls that are burnt and the the male goats that are burnt, referring to our korban. Verse 25. Then the Kohen shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be forgiven, for it was an error, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to Hashem, and their sin offering before Hashem for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven, with the alien who sojourns among them, for it has happened to all the people through error. Over and over again, five times in this short paragraph, and three times in the last two verses, the Torah stresses that atonement is achievable because it was done accidentally for the regular Jew and the Ger. But what happens if it was not accidentally? What if it was on purpose? The Torah does not say. So for now, we'll move on to the individual. Verse 27. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before Hashem for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for him, who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them. The Torah is describing the same sin, but now when the individual does it. Abu Dazara. So now the Torah is describing an individual accidentally sinning in Abu Dazara idol worship. Here, too, the Torah makes a statement of equality between the Ezrach, the native Israelite, and the Ger. But the final verses of this section address an incident that was not addressed regarding the sin of the entire nation. That being said, the korban here, the offering, the chatat offering, is similar to the chatat offering described in Sefer Vaikra in the fourth chapter when an individual sins. But what's different here? As we said, are the final verses, verse 30 and 31. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming Hashem, 
and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of Hashem and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. As previously mentioned, these verses describe a sin so great that might have led the sages to understand that the verses are referring to Abu Dazara. This individual is cut off, but not once, three times, v'nichreta in verse 30, and twice more in verse 31, hikaret, hikaret. Did we say he is punished with karet? So we have a basic idea of the content of the paragraph and the halachic interpretation of the sages and what that interpretation is based on. But why is it here? Why is it not in Sefer Vayikra in the fourth chapter, where contextually and halachically it belongs? In the previous two halachic sections of the Torah, there was comfort sent by addressing coming to Eretz Yisrael. There is a punishment not to enter Eretz Yisrael, but that too will come to an end. Here too, I believe it is possible that the Torah is comforting B'nai Israel. How so? The Torah describes the worst sin possible and then differentiates between the entire nation and the individual. Both can sin by accident and both have the appropriate sacrifices in order to atone for their accidental sin. But while the Torah entertains the idea of the individual transgressing the worst sin possible, and therefore being cut off, it simply does not entertain this idea vis-à-vis -vis the entire nation. This possibility doesn't come up. The nation cannot be cut off. The Torah will not entertain this possibility. But we just saw that God punished the entire generation. They were to die in the desert and not go into Eretz Yisrael. Is this not the punishing and cutting off of the entire nation? Perhaps this is the comfort offered in these verses. The fact that God kept the nation alive and the next generation goes into Eretz Yisrael means that the generation that is not going in is being punished as individuals. Each individual is being punished by not going into Eretz Yisrael and dying in the desert. But... Number one, therefore there is room for exceptions. Kalev and Yoshua, they are part of the nation, but as individuals, they do not deserve individual punishments. Therefore, they do not die in the desert. But, the fact that the next generation will enter Eretz Yisrael proves that the nation as a unit is alive and well. The nation as a nation survives. The nation as a nation was not and will not ever be cut off from, from God. And therefore, the Torah does not describe what happens if the nation sins purposely because there is no concept of the nation being cut off. The nation always survives. And this is a great comfort for us reading the sin of the spies, that even when it seems to us that the nation is in dire straits and the nation is being punished as a nation, the nation lives on and the nation will go into Eretz Yisrael. In the last section of the parasha, we will conclude our analysis of chapter 15 with the final two parashiyot, the narrative of the Mekoshesh Eitzim, which we've already mentioned doesn't seem to be connected is a story of about an individual 
and not a story of Bnei Israel. And all of Parshat, Parshiot of Bemidbar have been addressing the nation and not individuals. And finally, we will also address the well-known section of Tzitzit, which we say twice a day in Kriyat Shema of Shacharit and Arvit.